Hi, I'm Kieran O'Meara, and you're listening to Polit, the podcast for political posits. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this, the ninth episode of the Polit podcast. I hope I find you well and in good health. Today, we're going to divert from the usual formula. I'll tell you all about it in a moment. Uh, Before I do that, though, please go to the website. There should be a link in the description box to the left, above, to the right, below. (laughs) Please, please, please click that follow button. Click that subscribe button. And as I say, if you haven't already done so, go to the website for more content, references, citations for everything we discuss. And currently, at the moment, I have a discussion about uh, the French philosopher Michel Foucault's Society Must Be Defended and his lecture series. And this week, I'm going to be, I'm going to be beginning <laughs> uh, my series on the English School of International Relations with the English School Diaries. So check that out uh, if you haven't already done so. Go to the website, sign up to the emailing list, subscribe and follow. Thank you very much. So today, as I say, we're going to be deterring a little bit, or you know, we're going to be moving away from the usual formula of just simply discussing something that's up on the blog. Today, I'm going to read for you, or we're going to have a discussion uh, about a piece of work that actually one of my students gave me. Um, one of my students, I teach uh, politics to um, independently, uh, and he hasn't started his GCSEs yet. But he's exceptionally bright and he's exceptionally good at political thinking. And he wrote me this essay what around Christmas time. And for his age, for his capability, I thought it was fantastic. So today we're going to discuss this. If you want to um, see the original text, there is also a link in the description box for you to be able to do so. Okay, so... The question of this essay, of this discussion, is Has Parliament Moved On? by James Pierce Molland. I'd remember that name. By James Pierce Molland. Okay, so French wine, Italian food, German cars, and British what? British what? It's hard to figure out what that last word is. I'll give you a second to think about it. The word you're looking for is politics. Britain is known for its wild politics that takes place in ancient institutions. This discussion today will be looking at the legislature of the the United Kingdom and will answer whether or not the so-called mother of all parliaments has moved with the times and is not stuck in the past. Firstly, debating. The definition of debating is to argue on a subject, especially in a formal manner. The current way of debating in Parliament is formal in both houses, but it can be good to speak formally to one another so people take you and your ideas seriously. Point of order. These can be very useful if a Member of Parliament wants to make sure an answer or speech is relevant or the debate is following the procedure correctly. All they have to do is simply say, point of order, to either Mr. or Madam Speaker, and they will be heard. In the House of Lords, the Lords manage the debate themselves, and only speak once, so there would be no need for points of orders. 
So Parliament hasn't really moved on from the past, but the way they debate seems to function perfectly well. You can't say that Parliament hasn't moved on in the sense of debating, but with time language has changed. Parliament may have um, uh, Parliament may have not moved on, um, in the sense of its formality and getting people heard, but they have moved with the times, mainly through the language that they use to debate. In fact, there are occasions where the upper chamber, that's the House of Lords, which is normally thought of as the old house, has sounded more up to date in terms of language than the lower house, which is the House of Commons. Parliament may have uh, Parliament may have moved on in debating. It has, it kind of has to. So then the public can watch the broadcasts of the chambers and understand the terms they use. Maybe with the exception sometimes of Jacob Rees-Mogg, <laughs> which I think for those of us who keep up to date with British Parliament are fully aware of. <laughs> Voting. The UK Parliament votes on issues in a way no other Parliament does, although Canada do stand to be counted. <laughs> when a division is called, members of the Commons or Lords will leave the Chamber and choose either the I or the No lobby in the House of Commons, or the Content lobby or the Not Content lobby in the House of Lords. Their tick on which way to vote is then walking past a clerk taking down names, the tellers. Now, instantly, you can tell this is old-fashioned, but it does mean that the votes can't be rigged by any formulation of technological hacking or any kind of misconduct. One knows the way that one has voted, or that a particular member has voted, because of the lobby they are standing in. The question really is, has Parliament moved its voting on issues, or the manner in which it votes? No, but... Perhaps the current system does in fact seem the safest way to do so. Even though that is the way, even though that this is the way to vote in usual or normal times, Parliament has shown it can move on and quickly, so due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The COVID-19 pandemic is, I think, is a really, really good example of the manner in which Parliament can actually modernise itself and adapt quite quickly. During the pandemic, Parliament became a hybrid Parliament, where members of Parliament were given permission to vote on motions and bills from home through technology. The Procedure Committee made this decision quite quickly. Thus, even though this way of voting was not permanent, it really, really does show that the House of Commons and House of Lords uh, can move forward with their way of voting into a more efficient manner. Although it does have to be said that electronic voting wasn't permitted. Alright, so we've done debating, we've done voting, let's move to elections. The United Kingdom uses the first-past-the-post electoral system. In each constituency, the candidate with the most votes is elected the Member of Parliament, even if the majority of the electorate in the constituency voted for other candidates. The political party with the most MPs becomes the government and its leader becomes Prime Minister. Parliament hasn't moved on with its elections for two fairly big reasons. It hasn't changed the electoral processes for two big reasons. Firstly, 
lots of countries around the world and lots of state systems or lots of states rather now use electronic voting systems it's more efficient with counting and if made correctly means elections have a less or a, a lesser chance of being interfered with america's a good example of this secondly the house of lords you would expect in the 21st century that all of the legislative that all of the, the the all of the legislative branch in the united kingdom was elected the world has moved on from people being appointed into power so why is it still happening parliament can easily move on with its elections so why hasn't it parliament has been present for a long time so actually it's come quite far with its electoral processes the first great act reform of 1832 increased the size of the electorate by broadening the term property to allow more individuals to vote but not all who also had what we might think of as a property. The second Great Reform Act of 1867 increased the size of the electorate once again to all property owners who were excluded from the first Reform Act and also lodgers who paid more than £10 in rent, which is quite a lot in, in old money. <laughs> uh, the, Secret Ballot Act, the Secret Ballot Act of 1872 meant that no one felt like they had to vote a certain way. 1918, in this year, the vote was open to all women over the age of 30. 1928, in this year, the vote was open to all women over the age of 21. This is the Universal Suffrage Act. Between 1928 and 1970, male and female voters had to be over 21, but in 1970, the Representation of the People Act was passed, and all voters had to be 18 or older. So the UK Parliament has moved on with its elections quite a lot, or its electoral processes to quite a, quite a significant extent. And if the House of Lords faced some electoral reform, it would probably be in the coming years. That is, in this own Parliament's years, which seem to be very long. <laughs> of the last few parliamentary years, they do tend to drag on a little bit. <laughs> okay, equality of opportunity. What would it mean for all to be treated justly and equally? Well, there's a lot to say about this, <laughs> and that's an understatement. For starters, the first female member of parliament was elected in 1919. This was Nancy Astor, who was conservative. Um, and parliament had been around since 1701, formally. Um, the first BAME member of parliament was elected in 1832, John Stuart, who was also conservative. The first BAME, BAME female member of parliament was elected in 1987, who was Diane Abbott, um, former um, Labour um, shadow home minister, if memory recalls. Um, the first blind member of parliament was elected in 1864. That was Henry Fawcett for the Liberal Party. And there are many more firsts that entered parliament. But if you look at the dates, none of them are even within a century of 1701. Parliament had not moved on as quickly as it would have, as it perhaps would like to have admit. But this discussion doesn't necessarily illustrate failure. That's a really important point. It shows that there are people who have been elected paving the way for more to follow. Whether they were the first South Asian MP, the first British MP of Chinese origins, the first MP that used a wheelchair, Parliament has moved on. It has done 
it's best to move on. It may not have succeeded in the time length, but at least it has succeeded in getting the ball rolling. The House of Lords. Although this has been discussed a little bit already, there is an entire section devoted to this because it is important. Like I stated in the section about election electoral systems, you would expect that the whole of the mother of parliaments was elected, especially in the 21st century. During the COVID lockdown, all peers had to do to get money was log on. <laughs> they didn't even have to take part in the debate. It's pretty much impossible for a single party to have a majority in the Lords. So if a government has a massive majority in the Commons, like we have with the Johnson administration, it would mean there would be a legislative gridlock. So the question now stands at, has the House of Lords moved on? And the answer is quite simply no. <laughs> Although on the outside it seems to be outdated, the Upper House has made some big advancements in recent history. In 2000, the House of Lords Commission was created to make nominations to the House. The criteria of this commission are as follows. Firstly, a record of significant achievement within the candidate's chosen way of life. Secondly, the ability to make an effective and significant contribution to the work of the House. Thirdly, the time available to ensure they can make the contribution. Fourthly, some understanding of the Constitution. Fifthly, integrity and independence. And lastly, a commitment to the highest standard of public life. Having this commission means that individuals can be nominated on their merits, not because they were born into a household or happened to be friends with someone in high office. Tony Blair's administration, for example, uh, passed the House of Lords Act in 1999, which limited the number of hereditary peers to 92. The House of Lords sits for longer than the Commons, so it has more time to scrutinise the government and vote on motions and bills. The House is full of individuals from very different previous backgrounds, so it gives the legislative loads of diversity. It gives the legislature lots of diversity in the number of perspectives that are thrown into the mix. So, all in all, with all these changes, with changes to um, who gets nominated, the criteria that's required for nomination or um, uh, permission to sit in the House of Lords, and the shrinking of the number of hereditary peers. Has it moved on? Yes. Yes. You can find where it's moved on by looking deeper into this part of our Parliament. Although on the surface it may appear as if there hasn't necessarily been much movement, there hasn't necessarily been much change. You can find changes. And lastly, architecture. This might sound strange, but it's actually quite crucial. You see, Parliament needs to be in a building that can take the strain of a legislative or of a legislature or a legislative procedure. The Palace of Westminster is old, very old, so it could be time to pack up and move. Rats carry lots of diseases, and at the moment that is a problem the building is facing. And with the advancements in technology, walls are having to be taken down to fit wiring in, corrupting the structural integrity of the palace. I mean, when they designed when they designed Parliament, they weren't considering putting flat-screen televisions on the wall. <laughs> Would it be better and more efficient for the two Houses of Parliament to move to a building that already has the technology and space needed? And alongside this, probably wouldn't have a rat problem. <laughs> well, isn't it currently moving on anyway? 
the Palace of Westminster is currently being renovated and Parliament have come up with options um, in order to um, justify not only why they're doing it but how to do it effectively. Plans have been drawn of a temporary House of Commons chamber in the old Department of Health and Social Care building on Whitehall, whilst the most recent idea for the House of Lords is to move, uh, well, this was recent, sort of a few months ago, um, is to move uh, the House of Lords to York during renovations, although that did sort of get shot down. Has Parliament's buildings moved on? You can't say that they have, but you can say they are currently moving to a certain extent. And because the restoration of Parliament is a very important subject, information should be released soon on the matter. And absolutely lastly, political parties. When Theresa May resigned in 2019, there wasn't going to be a general election to decide who was going to be the next Prime Minister. Instead, instead when it came down to the final two, Boris Johnson and Jeremy Hunt uh, well, it came down to the final two in the Conservative Party between Boris Johnson and Jeremy Hunt. Only 0.29% of the population of the UK and Northern Ireland were allowed to vote as to who would be the next Prime Minister. Yes, it used to be an even smaller amount, we shouldn't really forget that, but still we call ourselves a democracy, whilst at the same time today our political leader is being elected by just 0.29% of the population. That seems questionable. Although over the years political parties have changed their core principles to be what politicians thought at the time was right for society, Labour have had four stages so far. Traditional Labour, New Labour, Blue Labour and Momentum. And the Conservatives have had three stages. Traditional Conservatism, One Nation, one nation Conservatism and the New Right. Over the years of having these party, over the years of having these, uh, parties have adapted, they've evolved to their surroundings. But did they evolve because they thought it was right for the country, or because they thought it would get them more votes? That's a good question. Do parties evolve, do they change, because of their ideas, their principles adapting, or do they evolve simply for the sake of picking up votes? So, now it comes down to the decision-making. Or maybe not. In mathematical terms, I would say this is a mixed correlation. <laughs> uh, or there is mixed correlation. In some sections of the discourse, you could say Parliament absolutely has not moved on. It's as ancient as it's ever been. And in others, you could say Parliament has absolutely moved on. <laughs> in the words of Edward Halleck Carr, the whale is not a fish. On the outside, it looks like a fish, but biologically, it's a mammal. That is the conclusion here. Parliament appears as if it has not moved on, but on the inside, the move has started. Just like how political parties adapt. Parliament must adapt to the ever-changing world of the 21st century. But for now, you decide. Thank you very much. This was an essay by James Pierce Molland on Has Parliament Moved On? So I'm Kieran O'Meara. You've been listening to me talk on the Polit Podcast, the podcast for political posits. Tune in next week for another episode. Please like, share, subscribe. Click that little follow button. 
and don't forget to go to the blog where there are citations for everything that's been discussed and more content. Thank you very much for listening.